This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. teaching series looking at the subject of the grace of God and we're doing that because we believe that having an encounter with the grace of God is a vital foundation to the Christian life. Encountering the grace of God is crucial to everyone in the room and we're doing this series because we want the message and the fruit of grace to be something that characterises, that underpins, that saturates the life of our church together. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said, as a bird cannot exhaust the air in the sky, nor a fish exhaust the water in the sea, neither can we exhaust the grace of God. Tozer said, ages upon ages will hardly be long enough to allow us to experience all the riches of his Grace. Well, we want to experience all the riches of his grace, and that's why we're doing this series, because we're absolutely convinced that living with an enjoyment of the fullness of God's salvation and having an experience of God's grace can completely set us free and transform our lives. That is the big idea of this whole series. An encounter with the grace of God has the power to change your life forever. Okay, and so as we kind of press on through our series, uh, maybe you're here for the first time or you've missed some, I just encourage you to kind of go back on the website and have a listen. Um, but we're going to read this morning what Paul has to say in his letter to Titus. So if you have a Bible there, you can turn there, Titus chapter 2. Um, if you don't, don't worry because it's going to come up on the screen. Um, I'll just give you a moment to turn there, Titus chapter 2. Uh, Paul is writing this letter. Paul was one of the earliest church leaders. This is what he has to say, Titus and chapter 2. Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And then if you turn over the page just into chapter 3, we'll read a couple of verses there from verse 3, where Paul says, At one time, we too were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived and we were enslaved by all kinds of pleasures and passions. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another, but... When the kindness and the love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope 
of eternal life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the truth that we read here. Lord, we thank you so much for the truths that we've sung this morning. Your amazing grace towards us. You've shown us grace. You've shown us your love. You've come and set us free. You've transformed our lives. Lord, we love just being in your presence and being able to sing these truths back to you, celebrating your goodness to us, Lord, and your hand in our lives. And now, Lord, as we come before you, as we come to your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come amongst us, that you would be our teacher, that you would inspire us, that you would provoke us, that you, God, would enlarge the capacity of our hearts and minds to know you more and to understand more of your wonderful grace to us. Amen. 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 Do you know, there's nothing more wonderful as a subject than the grace of God. There's nothing more wonderful as a subject to talk about than the grace of God. That God loves us freely, that he accepts us as we are, that he gives us his own righteousness as a gift so that we don't somehow have to earn favour with God or live, I don't know, boring lives of rule-keeping in order to kind of please him. It's an amazing truth that God would show grace to the likes of you and me. And when that truth comes to you, when that lands in your heart, I mean, it it can be liberating, it can be life-changing. I mean, at some level, you almost think sometimes, is this too good to be true? I mean, it's a bit scandalous, really. I mean, it's a bit outrageous that God would show mercy to sinners, that God would accept people who fall short of his standards of holiness and purity, that God would accept me. God would accept me. I remember growing up as a church, uh, as a teenager, going to a church in, in, in Brighton where the theme of the grace of God just seemed to kind of pervade everything. The pastors of the church, people like Terry Virgo and John Hosier, you may know some of those guys, they would teach on the grace of God and it was almost like every sermon had that in it. It was like either explicitly or implicitly. That sort of seemed to be the lens through which the Bible was taught and I look back now and I think, do you know what, I'm so grateful for that as a foundation because the grace of God is a foundation for you to build your life on. Grace is the window through which to view what it means to live the Christian life. And we're going to look at some verses that Paul uh, writes here to Titus. And he says, for the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. That's what we read. And the word translated appeared is the word that we get our word epiphany from. And what Paul's saying is that the grace of God shone out. Okay, the grace of God shone out. It's like we say this at Christmas, that once the people were in darkness, but now we see a great light. Grace didn't just kind of slip into the back of the room unnoticed. When Jesus came, grace shone out. And you might think, well, hang on a minute, hasn't God always been gracious? And yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's often been said that the Bible is an extended narrative of God's grace from the start to the finish. So it isn't that God hasn't always been a God of grace. God's always been gracious. God showed his grace to Jacob and to David. He showed his grace to Jonah, just to name a few. If you read all the way through the Old Testament, the leaders of the people of God, the prophets, they all have to talk, something to say about God's grace. You read David or you read Nehemiah, you read Isaiah, you read Joel. They've all got something to say about how gracious God is. When Moses asks for a revelation of God the Lord passed before him and Moses heard the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in love God has always been a God of grace he has always been gracious and yet in the coming of Jesus grace shone out 
and John, in his gospel, he says the law, that's the, like the Old Testament law, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's like in contrast, there was a brighter outshining than anything you'd seen before. In Jesus coming, grace shines out. And it's funny, actually, if you just think about it, that was what Jesus was like. Jesus demonstrated that with his lifestyle how he would go and show love and grace to the blind and to the lepers, to those who were excluded from the temple, those who were on the periphery of the community, those who were outcasts, the sinners, the, the tax collectors, those who were living in sexual sin, the outcasts, the marginalised. Jesus showed mercy and love to those who you might not expect. He brings to them healing and forgiveness, acceptance. He showed them the grace of God, which is why John says, look at Jesus. He is full of grace and truth. And you and I, we can all receive from his fullness, grace upon grace. So with the coming of Jesus, grace shines out. And it says bringing salvation. Do you know that? Salvation has to be brought to you. Salvation has to be brought to you. You can't save yourself. You can't attain it by yourself. Salvation is a gift that needs to be brought to us. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God. We can't do enough. We can't... We, we can't save ourselves. That's what the Bible teaches, but in reality, you know that yourself, deep down. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough. Sadly, that's what people try to do. It's what every religion teaches, isn't it? So you see people travelling to Mecca or going on some kind of pilgrimage in order to get credit and acceptance with God. Or you see people rushing into the Ganges River to try and wash away their sins. Or other religions that teach you, I don't know, you've got to reincarnate to pay back your karmic debt. Or you've got to pay so, pray so many prayers over and over and over and over and over and over again in some kind of, in some kind of ritual in order to, uh, I don't know what, earn favour and acceptance with God. Maybe it's just that you need to do more good deeds than bad deeds so that the scales tip this way. And hopefully at the end of it all, God will say, yeah, you've just about done enough. You're just about to squeeze through. But the reality is we can't do it. We fall short. Earlier in our series, Howard and Steve both spoke about legalism. That's the attempts that we make at self-righteousness. Do you know any righteousness that we try to offer of our own to convince God of our acceptability is always, 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 always going to fall short of the standards of a God who is utterly holy and utterly righteous. The Bible says that everyone in the room, you, me, frankly everyone in the world, we're under sin and judgment and the wrath of God because we've broken God's law. We've fallen short of God's standards. We've worshipped things that aren't God. We've mocked God with our lives and our words and our thoughts and our actions and we've been separated from God by our sin. We read that in the little verses in, cha in chapter 3 of Titus, that once we were foolish and we were deceived. When it says that we were foolish, it doesn't mean that like, we've got a low IQ. It's not talking about intellect. It's speaking of a foolishness in the heart. The fool says in his heart there's no God. It's a turning off from God, how we lived making ungodly and unwise choices, behaving in a way that didn't please God, living for ourselves, pursuing our own comforts and our own pleasures. It says that we were enslaved by all kinds of pleasures and passions. But the good news of the grace of God is that we can be set free. We can be set free from the consequences of sin and death and the wrath of God by faith in Jesus, by being united with him in faith and through faith, repentance and baptism. Our resp God's response to our condition is to love us so unconditionally that he makes a way possible for us to be reconciled to him. And that is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not found in any foolish attempts that we make at self-righteousness. It's not found in rule-keeping. It's not found in effort. It's not found in observances or 
pilgrimages or religious practices or just blind luck, hoping for the best, generally being a good person or anything else. It's found in his mercy. That's, that's what we read in Titus 3 there. It says, when the kindness and love of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. That we might become heirs of God and have the hope of eternal life. So grace shines out in the coming of Jesus, bringing salvation to us. We needed salvation. We needed to be rescued from what we were and where we were. We needed a saviour. Jesus comes. Grace shines out, bringing salvation. Charles Swindle said, nothing has the power to change us from within like the freedom that comes through grace. Nothing has the power to change us from, it, from within like the freedom that comes through grace. The reality of God's grace is breathtaking. When you take a moment to stop and think, his favour extended to us that we don't deserve and that we could never earn God accepting you and me, showing us mercy, Jesus taking our sin, God clothing us in righteousness. So all my sin and all my shame removed, dealt with and washed away by the blood of Jesus at the cross. What can be given to me is all the riches of God at Christ's expense and a whole new life, a whole new relationship with God, a whole new way of relating to God, none of which I could have earned, none of which I could have deserved, none of which I could have paid for, but has been given to me freely, willingly, lovingly, in Jesus, by Jesus, at Jesus' expense. That is amazing grace. Friends, the gospel isn't just kind of like some good advice. It's good news. It's the good news about Jesus. It's the gospel of the grace of God. So Jesus came bringing salvation. It's by grace that we're saved. And do you know, grace is a gift. When a friend comes round to your house and brings you a gift, what do you do? You receive it, right? Andy and Vicky came to my house recently. They came bearing gifts, which were gratefully received. They were edible and drinkable, so we enjoyed those together. That was nice, okay? But when friends come to your house, they bring gifts and you receive it. My son had his seventh birthday two weeks ago, and um, it turns out being seven is a big deal, okay? Um, I did not need to teach him how, or even tell him that he needed to receive his gifts. I didn't need to teach him how to do that or that he needed to do that. In fact, he was there opening the gifts and he's completely oblivious to the fact that he himself is the gift. But that's rather to wander off the point. Um, he saw his presents, he saw his presents and he unwrapped them and he enjoyed them. Salvation is a gift, but you've got to receive it. Salvation is a gift, but you've got to receive it. It's a gift of grace for us to receive and enjoy all the benefits of. Do you know that Christianity is a gift exchange? We give to God all of our sin, the pain, the disappointment, the failure, the hurt, the guilt and the shame of our past and in exchange he gives to us a gift of his grace. He gives to us righteousness, freedom, a clean conscience and a hope for the future. But it's like any gift, you've got to receive it. And I want to ask you, have you received it? I want to ask you, have you received it? There's a gift on offer for you to receive. For many people in this room, you have. But, but maybe for you, for the first time here today, you're thinking, do you know what? I haven't responded to taking that gift. I've heard all about this. Sounds good. 
Maybe today is going to be a day that you take a step and say, do you know what? I want to receive, how do I receive that gift of grace? How do I receive that gift of grace? When we uh, uh, break bread later, I want to encourage you to just think about, wow, the grace of God. How good he is to us. What a gift. What a gift at a price we could never pay. We come to a question, though, and I guess this is where we're going to depart from where we were last week. Okay, we come to a question, and the question is this, how should we live in light of God's grace? How should, how should we live? How should we live in response to it? In view of all that God's done, how should I now live? It's a question that we arrived at last week. Having received the gift of grace, what does our life look like now? How do we respond? How are we to live? Well, in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, those who've received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life. Or to quote Steve from last week, he said, those who benefit from all the goodness of God in Jesus are hashtag winning. And now Steve is a bit cooler than me and he's down with the Instagram and all of this stuff, so uh, he's got it. But do you know, it talks about winning reigning in life. The Bible talks like that in terms of the Christian's experience. It talks of being on top, being the head, not the tail. In Romans 8, Paul uh, says, we're, we're more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Elsewhere it says that we're always led in triumph. So we're in triumph. We're reigning in life. <laughs> we're more than conquerors. We're on top. We're hashtag winning. <laughs> I, I, it was quite funny to be fair. <laughs> It speaks, it speaks of being on top, doesn't it? It speaks of uh, being over the circumstances, not under them. Always being in triumph. And the Bible says that we've received freedom, but sometimes I think it can be that we don't always feel like we're living in it. Do you know what I mean? It can sometimes feel like we're not actually living in it. So we listen to what I've just said a few minutes ago and like we've said over the last few weeks about the grace of God, and you say, that sounds amazing. But actually, is there a reality of that in my life? Do I really feel free? Do I really feel like I'm living in the good of it? And Steve showed us last week one way in which we can respond. Some people will tend to respond by, I guess, a legalistic temptation to add a whole load of extra rules to your life. I must get up early and pray. I must read my Bible. I must do this, I must do that. I must give my money. I must attend them, I mustn't wear that anymore, I'm, I'm, I must, must do this, I must do that. And some of these things, they're motivated initially by probably a, a desire to please God out of a response to his grace. Maybe you came forward in a meeting and you felt convicted and you, you, know, you, you come before God and you say, right, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change my life. What am I going to do? Right, I'm going to get up an hour earlier. I'm gonna, and you start putting rules in your life. And Steve spoke about that, that last week. I guess it's possible that you can live as a Christian grateful for the saving grace of God, but still operating as if you need to earn continued acceptance from God or from other people around you. Yet it's possible to be grateful for the saving grace of God, but still operate as if you need to earn kind of continued acceptance from God or from other people in the church by doing a load of stuff. And some of those things in and of themselves aren't bad. Some of them might might actually be very good for you. 
But what you end up with is being under the weight of um, your own efforts as kind of the measure by which you please God and earn acceptance. It's a kind of a sense of pressure and a sense of kind of taking on a load of rules. So Steve spoke about that last time. That's one way that we can respond. Another way that we can respond is a bit like a question that Paul asks in, in Romans chapter 6. And he says, well, shall we carry on sinning so that grace may abound? In other words, if grace is available to us freely, why does it matter? We just kind of keep doing what we like and then you know, we'll come back to God when we need some more grace and, and that's good. Does it matter if I just keep on living like I always did? That's kind of another way to respond. Now, I think in reality, people don't actually ask that question, very rarely. People don't ask that question. They don't say, well, can I, can I just keep on sitting there? I, 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 don't think, I don't think it comes like that. I think most people ask the inverse of that question. Most people ask the other side of the coin. They say, well, how can I live the holy life? How can I truly live free of sin? How can, I, how can I live the holy life? How can I reign in life? And for many people, their experience is that they're not free. They don't feel free. It's a bit like the children of Israel. You know the, you know the story, they experience the liberty and the freedom from uh, slavery to the Egyptians. They leave, they're heading out together out of Egypt into the desert, down to the sea, and they've got this feeling of elation. They've got this feeling of freedom. They've got this uh, feeling of, look, we're going somewhere now and we're leaving the old slave master behind us. But after a while of fe- feeling elated, after a while of feeling, yes, we're heading to freedom, we're, we're free, they realise actually uh, the sea's in front of us and there's nowhere to get across and then they look in the rearview mirror, so to speak, and they see the old slave masters have changed their minds and they're, they're heading down after them and all of a sudden they're starting to feel trapped and they're feeling trapped because they're in a place that they can't escape from. The water's in front of them and the slave master's behind them. That's my slave master. That's the thing that I was always enslaved in slavery to. And they think, do you know what? I'm destined to be bound in slavery to that same old slave master over and over again. Now, if you know the story, of course, God makes a way for them to be totally free. The waters open up. They go down through them, a kind of baptism, if you like, and they go through to freedom on the other side. The waters crash over and the uh, Egyptian army are washed away. But do you know, I think it's possible for us to be like that. It's possible for us to live like that. It's possible to hear the message of grace, that God will accept me freely as I am, as a gift, that Jesus came willingly to lay down his life for me, to take my sin away. It's possible to respond to the gospel call, to receive forgiveness, and that deep down you knew you needed. It's possible to come to God in gratitude for all that he's done, and for a moment feel free. For a moment feel like, yes, I'm heading to freedom. God's done something in my life, my life is turning around, I'm heading to free, and then life hits. And you find the pull of the things that the world has to offer. And soon enough, it feels like you're kind of being drawn back into it. And you find yourself, as it said in the passage that we read, a little bit still enslaved to all sorts of passions and pleasures. It's like, that's my old slave master, and I can't, I, I can't, I, I can't get away from it. That temptation that you can't seem to avoid. I just can't... I can't help myself. I just, I just keep going. I know it's wrong, and then you feel racked up with guilt, but I just can't help myself. I'm, I, don't feel, I, I don't feel free. I'm just in slavery to this thing. And so you have that moment of freedom, that moment of responding to the gospel, that moment of, wow, the elation. My, my heart's been changed. My life's been changed. I'm heading to freedom with God. And, and actually, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm being pulled back, pulled back, pulled back, pulled back by this old thing. 
in our passage that we read, we saw that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It says to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So not only are we justified by his grace, not only does grace reveal to us the mercy and the forgiveness and the acceptance of God, but grace actually instructs us how to live. Grace instructs us how to live. So we're accepted by God in a moment as a gift of grace and then the work of change begins. So religion says, right, you've got to do all of this stuff and then God will accept you. The gospel teaches us that by grace we're accepted straight away without doing anything except receiving the gift of salvation by faith. In fact, in Romans 4 and verse 5 it says that to the one who doesn't work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. So religion says you've got to do all this stuff and once you've done all this stuff you'll be acceptable to God. Christianity says no, no, no. By grace we're accepted straight away without doing anything except receiving the gift by faith. And then, thereafter, begins the process of change in your life. And grace instructs us, grace teaches us, grace motivates us, grace directs that process. Tim Keller puts it like this, God sees us as we are. He loves us as we are and he accepts us as we are, but by his grace he does not leave us where we are. And here it says, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And that's what we're going to kind of look at in the kind of remaining time that we've got here. This is kind of the, the theme that we're looking at in, in the context of the wider grace series. Grace teaching us to say no. It says, grace instructs us, grace teaches us. We never have to be taught to say no. Okay, you've got to be taught to say no. Grace teaches us how to live. Actually, saying no, if you just take a moment to think about it, Saying no is not easy. But it's a vital part of holy living. Saying no can sometimes be hard. Saying no can be antisocial. Saying no can be countercultural. But if we don't learn to say no, if we don't let grace teach us to say no, very quickly we're going to find ourselves in trouble. Very quickly you find yourself compromised. Very quickly you find yourself living and falling back into the patterns of behaviour that you wanted to leave behind. Learning to say no is about living right. How do I live the holy life? It's about learning to make good godly choices. Learning to say no. If you don't learn to say no, you're probably compromised already. Are you coming out tonight? We're all going to get absolutely smashed. Oh, we, we'll, just, we'll, just go to, we'll just go to Tom's house first, have a load of drinks first there, and then we'll go... <laughs> maybe. Maybe, or maybe you need to learn to say no. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you'll wait until you get married? What do you mean you'll wait until you get married? Why don't you just move in together? Just shack up together, have fun, see how it goes. Everyone's doing it. It's all right, isn't it? Everyone's, everyone's doing it. If it doesn't work out, then, you know, it's easy. No, actually, we need to say, we need to learn to say, no. what do you mean you're only going to sleep with one person? Come on, no one does that anymore. Sometimes we, we, we need to learn to say no. Yeah, that's right. 
We, we live in a world that has pr- pr- pretty low standards, <laughs> certainly low on commitment, but it places a high bar on self-expression and self-gratification, right? If you don't learn to say no, and if you don't have a motive to say no, if you don't have the courage to say no, you're going to quickly find yourself in trouble. Likewise with the temptations that come our way that no one else sees. Oh, that looks good. Click, buy. Oh, that looks good. Click, watch. If you don't learn to say no, you're going to find yourself in trouble pretty quick. Saying no takes a reason. It takes motive. It takes courage. And living the godly life is about making good choices. Living to please the one who called us. I want to tell you, just so that we're clear, this is different from legalism. Okay, discipline is not the same as legalism. Legalism says, here are the rules. The law says, thou shalt not. But grace teaches me to say, no, thank you. Okay, grace teaches me from the inside, from the heart, to say no. The law says, thou shalt not. Grace teaches you to say no. Yeah. So how does grace teach us? Well, first of all, grace teaches us by telling us to know and live in the truth. And then secondly, I think it gives us some motivation and purpose, both for this life and for the life to come. And we're going to briefly look at those together. So first of all, grace teaches us to know the truth. Do you know it's truth that saves you? Jesus said, you know the truth? The truth will set you free. We need to know some things. Okay, you need to know some stuff. You need to know the truth. This isn't mind over matter, by the way. Okay, you've just got to be clear about that. This isn't kind of like think it hard enough and it will come into existence. It isn't like positive mental attitude and some kind of nebulous goals or statements from a life coach. Okay, some people just say, oh, don't worry about it. Let go and let God. No, that won't do. Okay, that's utterly meaningless. It's not going to help you in the slightest. We need to know what God says to be true. We need to know what God says happened to us when we became a Christian. Grace tells us we're acceptable to God. Grace tells us we're a winner before we start. Grace tells us that trying hard isn't going to get there. Religion and secularism, they're all about your personal performance. The gospel is about the performance of another applied to you. Religion says, I obey and therefore I'm accepted. By grace, Christianity says, I'm accepted and therefore I obey. Those two things are very different. And in the passage we read, it says that Jesus gave himself. Just want to think about that for a minute. Jesus gave himself. He gave himself willingly on our behalf. He went through the horror and the shame of the cross for you and for me. So that through Christ Jesus, grace can set us free. Jesus takes the condemnation, the punishment that you and I deserve so that we can be free from uh, guilt, we can be free from shame, but we can also be free from law-keeping as the basis of our relationship with God. If you're in Christ, that's every Christian believer, that's being united to Christ by faith in all that God has done for us in Jesus. The gospel gets a hold of you. Grace gets its grip on you and sets you free. Grace isn't an addition to your life, it's a contradiction to your life. Romans 6 says that when Jesus died, we died. Okay, we need to know some stuff. The Bible says that when Jesus died, we died. Our old self was crucified with him in order that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. We sang that in one of the songs this morning. 
Romans 6 verse 6 says, For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Consider yourself, reckon it. That, that phrase is like borrowed from the world of accountancy. An accountant is good if he gets the numbers in the right column. Yeah? He's no good if he doesn't do that. This is the same thing. It means line it up. It means get it in the right column. Consider it to be true. Consider yourself dead to sin. Once you were slaves of sin, but now we've been set free and have become slaves of righteousness. It's almost like you can't get enough of it. <laughs> Knowing the truth sets you free. Not willpower. Willpower doesn't set you free. Obeying a load of rules doesn't set you free. But God's truth, which says you've been crucified with Christ. So we died with Jesus when he died. When God removed all of our guilt and shame at the cross, it enables us to be ruthless with removing rubbish from our lives. Because I've been put to death with Jesus at the cross, because he, when he died, I died, I've got motive and I've got power to put to death ugly things that are in me. So Paul goes on to say then, well, don't let sin control the way you live. Grace teaches us to say no. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't offer up the members of your body, he says, as instruments to sin. Don't do it. Do you know, what matters isn't just knowing what the Bible says, but also doing what the Bible says. It says, don't offer it up. Sin needs an instrument. When the band play, the band needs an instrument for the music to play. Yeah? The, the music comes from the guitar. It needs an instrument. Sin needs an instrument. And our eyes and our hands and our brains and our speech, they easily go there. They're used to doing that stuff. can so easily go there. Don't offer up the members, it says. Before sin can reign, it needs to be invited in. And before it's invited in, it knocks on the door. That's called temptation. Even Jesus was tempted... But you know, once you've given in to temptation several times, soon enough, you become dulled in your senses to it. And then it moves in and it becomes part of your normal life. There was a moment when we were going our own way, living life as we pleased, ignorant of God, and yet he broke into our lives and he saved us. It's important that we know that we're not just saved from something, we're saved into something else. Okay, we're not just saved from something, we're saved into something else. We're saved from <laughs> sin and death and its consequences, but we're saved into a whole new life. So that's why we're told to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Do you look at yourself and ever kind of say that to yourself, I'm dead to sin? What's true of me? I've died to it. Now, it isn't that, I've ne that I never sin. It's that sin is no longer the dominant force in my life. We're not teaching some sort of weird death to sin experience. Okay? We're not, there's no experience to go after here that's going to turn you into some kind of super Christian. Okay? We're talking about something that the Bible says has happened to you. If you're in Christ, this has happened to you. So reckon it to be true. Reckon it to be true. In Jesus, I've become alive to God. I'm completely changed on the inside. I've been united with him, rescued from sin and death and exclusion from the presence of God. 
I've been raised up with Jesus, united with him. What's true for him is true for us. If, when he died, we died. If he's been raised, we've been raised. You got me thinking, you know, some people, some people say this, I don't know if you've ever thought this, some people say, yeah, but at heart, I'm still a sinner. I'm just an old sinner. I wonder if you've ever thought that. I'm just an old sinner, I'm trying my best. Sadly, some people even teach that. Maybe you were here a few weeks ago and you heard Howard telling the story of the prodigal son and maybe it made you think, you know, when, um, when you imagine the robe being placed on the son, yeah, maybe underneath he still smells of pigs. You can, th- you, can, you, you can slip into that way of thinking where you think, do you know what, I'm grateful for salvation, I'm grateful for this robe of righteousness that covers my shame. But deep down inside, I'm still a sinner. Can I tell you? That's wrong. You are not. Okay, that's wrong and you are not. Paul doesn't write to the sinners at Philippi, he writes to the saints. Do you know, you've got a new heart that's been put within you. You've been changed on the inside. You haven't just been polished up on the outside. You're an entirely new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You're a partaker of the divine nature. You've got the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead living within you. You've been totally transformed. You're not just an old sinner. You've been transformed in a whole new life. And that's important. That's why it matters what we do with our bodies. That's why Paul says, you know, don't hand your members over. That's why it matters. It's why grace teaches us to say no, to live free from worldly passions. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, don't you know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a new covenant argument, isn't it? It isn't the law. It isn't thou shalt not, and here are the rules, and you mustn't do this. It's you've been changed from the inside, and now God lives in you. So what you join your body to, and what you join yourself to, you take God with you. So we need grace to teach us to say no. And you say, well, you know, I can't help it though. It's late, no one's around. I start browsing the internet and before I know it, I'm, I'm looking at stuff that I shouldn't look at. I feel terrible afterwards, but, you know, I, I just can't help it. I've got some advice for you. First of all, don't go there. <laughs> Second, let's f- find a three. Do you know what a three is? A three is like a little discipleship group where you can be accountable and share with one another, encourage one another, keep yourself accountable. You say, well, I, I can't beat that temptation. Yeah, but you can. The Bible says no temptation will come to us that's too strong for us to bear. Say, hey, well, I know we're not married and I probably should go back to my place, but, you know, it's late and, well, to be honest, it's a bit more convenient for me to stay over here. I'll just keep on the sofa and nothing's going to (laughs) happen. Really? I've got some advice for you. (laughs) Don't go there. In the Proverbs it says, it's, 
it says a wise man doesn't go past the door of a prostitute. You might say to me, yeah, but Graham, that's the quickest way. I just want to go from A to B. That's, that's the quickest way. Yeah, but there's temptation and there's danger there. Yeah, but it's the quickest way. It's, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's quick. Hey, listen, right? Don't go there. This is about making godly choices. I just get, keep getting sucked into these conversations. I can't help thinking that thing. I don't know what it might be for you. This is about trying to live right. Making godly choices. Letting God's grace motivate us to live well. In almost all of the New Testament letters, there's a turning point. They all say, well look, this is who God is. And this is what he's done. And considering all that he's done, now this is the response. And they all go like that. In Romans, Paul gets all the way to chapter 12 before he says, listen, in view of God's mercy. In other words, considering all that God's done for you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. The reason people can know the gospel and not change their lives is because they think forgiveness is cheap. Forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness came at a great price. And you know, discipline is nothing to do with trying to impress God with our conduct and our actions. Discipline is the natural response from our hearts to his love for us. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? It says in 1 Thessalonians, it's God's will that you live his way. You want to know what, the, what God's will is for your life? It's God's will that you live his way. You know, sin sometimes it can make you feel wretched. It can make you feel inconsistent with what God's done in you. And the reality, I just want to say this, I think the reality is that so many people live with a guilty conscience. So many Christians live kind of bound up with stuff inside, racked up with guilt and shame, feeling condemned because of something that they've said or done in the past, something that they've been doing, something even maybe that's been said or done to them in the past. Sometimes people are living totally weighed down by the guilt and shame of something in the past. Almost like permanently tortured by a conscience that keeps reminding you of it. Living with the weight of condemnation of something that you've maybe been unable to confess for years. Something that you feel that you can't get free from. You might even have lived with something troubling your conscience for years, decades. <coughs> unable to confess, unable to bring it into the light, feeling like even unable to tell anybody. You try to ignore the feeling and you try to suppress it, but at the end of the day the reality is you don't feel actually like you're living with a clean conscience. It might be that you want to talk and pray with someone today. In terms of living with the guilt of something that's happened in the past, <coughs> the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
A clean conscience is possible because of the blood of Jesus. And I want to encourage you and invite you that if that speaks to you today, don't go away. Don't go away keeping on trying to bury things. But come to Jesus who wants to meet with you, who offers to carry your burden, who has grace for you that far outweighs anything you've ever done, who can bring relief to a troubled conscience, who can truly set you free. The writer to the Hebrews says, Let's dr- let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. If anyone sins, John says, we've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. I want to say one more thing before I close, and the band will come back in a, in a minute or two. Grace teaches us to say no. Grace also gives us some reasons to say no. Not just the things that I've spoken about already, knowing the truth and lining up with it and letting that be the reality in your life. But actually, grace teaches us that God has chosen you. God has chosen you. He delights in you. He calls you his own. You're his special treasure. Before the foundation of the world, before anything that is ever was, God set his heart on you his affection on you, his delight in you, you're treasured in his affection. Do you know that? It's important that you hear that. He delights in you. He loves you. He wanted a people for his own. You weren't saved by accident, okay? You weren't saved by accident. You weren't saved because you were in the right place at the right time. Oh, it's just a job lot. Yeah, I'll take the, I'll, I'll take the lot. It, it's not like that. He loves you. He delights in you. You're treasured in his affection. He wants a relationship with you. He's got good works for you to walk in. And he wants us to live godly lives, being those who are, as it said in the passage we read, eager to do what's good. The Bible says that God's prepared works for us to walk in. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants you to be living with passion and on purpose for him. In fact, the Bible says that God would prefer us either hot or cold. He doesn't like lukewarm, okay? God wants us living with a passion and a purpose for him. And lastly, grace teaches us the hope that we have. Tells us, we read it there, that we're living in this present age. But there is an age to come. Grace shone out when Jesus appeared. But Jesus is coming again. Grace appeared, but soon the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour will take place. Meantime, this world, we should just view it as the present age. And it passes very quickly. It passes really quickly. Everyone knows that. Mm. It was my son's seventh birthday the other day. Where did that go? It just goes. Everyone knows that. We had some friends around our house the other day and looked at a photo of uh, Joe and I when we, uh, when we got married. Joe looks exactly the same. I look quite a lot younger. And it's like, wow, where did the time go? How, d- how did that happen? It flies by. In this present age, it comes and goes in a moment. The world in its present form is passing away. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. That's what the Bible says. It's a short-lived reality. So grace opens our eyes to the fact that we don't actually need to embrace all of the value systems of this world, of this present age. We don't need to accept everything hook, line and sinker 
because it's a moment and it'll be gone. Our citizenship is elsewhere. We belong to a kingdom that isn't going to spoil or fade. So grace teaches us to live now with an anticipation and an expectation of what's to come. Friends, it's God's intention that we not only receive his grace, but that we let his grace direct the course of our lives. I want to encourage you this morning as the band come back to continue in the grace of God. I want to encourage you to continue in the grace of God. It's an ongoing process, walking with God in the will of God, making good choices, letting grace teach us to say no, letting grace remind us of all that God has done for us in Jesus, changing us completely from the inside out, washing us clean, making us totally new, giving us purpose for this life and hope for the life that's to come, being there with mercy and grace in every time of need. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.